Let us worship God. reading from the prophet Isaiah, the 40th chapter, beginning with the 25th verse. In preparation to hear these words, let us pray. Holy One, we give you thanks for these ancient words and for the lives of those who have carried them down throughout the ages. We ask that you would open our hearts and minds this morning, that your word might fall afresh upon us this day. Amen. To whom, then, will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see, who created these? One who brings out their host and numbers them, calling them all by name. Because God is great in strength, mighty in power, 
Not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Holy One, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Holy One is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. God does not faint or grow weary. God's understanding is unsearchable. God gives power to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Even youths will faint and be weary, and the young will fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Holy One shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks be to God. Gospel reading is from Mark 1. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, 
confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. So ends the Gospel reading. I spent last Sunday morning, not with you, um, but at the Kaiser Hospital emergency room. And by morning, I mean it was 3 a.m. Happily to say, everything has been resolved. It wasn't what we feared, but it was pretty scary. I had woken up at around midnight with chest pains that just wouldn't go away. So a few hours later, um, Dickie and I decided we needed to go in. So here we sat in this, this place for the next, I think it was like seven hours, in just this room full of need. Some folks were sitting there quietly, maybe looking at their cell phones or trying to sleep on the hardest, most uncomfortable plastic chairs ever. Others were in the room groaning in pain. People were throwing up. They're holding their heads in their hands. They've come with partners or they've come alone. There was one very irate man in the um, ER waiting room who had been waiting a very long time, who yelled at the nurse at the front desk, saying, I'm 88 years old, I'm nearly blind, I told you I was in pain, why don't you care? I saw his wife try to calm him down, and then he turned and yelled at her in a very humiliating way. And later, while I was in the, in the back, waiting for the doctor to come, I heard for, I think, at least two hours, an elderly Chinese man who was in a gurney in the hallway outside my room, screaming out um, this Chinese term, um, which is not quite, it's not a swear word, but it's, it's more like a word of frustration. He was saying, Aya! for two hours. I have extremely limited Chinese skills, but I recognized um, what he was in distress about. He was saying, or he was rather yelling, I'm cold, I'm cold, please help me. And I'm not too proud to tell you that I was not filled with compassion for this man. I was thinking, oh, please, somebody give that man a blanket. He's driving me crazy. There's just nothing like a hospital emergency room to bring you face to face with humanity. You see everything there, right? 
Humans in need. Humans in pain. Humans who want to be seen with their vulnerability honored. Humans doing their best to serve those people who are bringing their skills and their compassion, but who also have their limits. They aren't God. They get tired. They don't have all the answers. They work in systems that are hardly ideal. They too want their vulnerability honored. So here we are in this place. Here are humans at their best and at their worst, all together in one place. I don't know how you picture the scene with John the Baptist at the River Jordan, but it helps, I think, to picture a hospital emergency room. Maybe your sense of the baptism ritual is a little kind of cleaned up, meaning you might be used to seeing newborn babies being baptized, which is a ritual that I love. As a pastor, it was one of my favorite things to do. We would take that fresh newborn child dressed in white with her whole life in front of her, and we would mark her with water and say the most audacious things about who she is in God's eyes. We'd make bold claims over this child that she is loved, loved, loved by God, and that nothing she does or fails to do, nothing done to her, can ever change the fundamental reality of her belovedness. That water dripping down her forehead is a sign that no matter her circumstances, the success she gains, the suffering she will face, she is drenched in the love of God. She belongs to God. But babies are cute, right? And we love them, and we are drawn to them. We bend them in their neediness, and we don't resent them for their neediness. We don't say to a newborn, uh, the milk is over there, please help yourself. No, we bend to them. We bend to accommodate ourselves to their vulnerability. But imagine the scene in the opening chapter of Mark. Hordes of people from the Judean countryside are coming to be baptized by John, bringing their less than cute, very messy lives with them. John the Baptist um, might not be the best dressed preacher there ever was. He's a little frightening. But the people are compelled by the summons to come on down to the river. And they do, in droves. Now, what have folks heard that they found so compelling in his word? I think that they've heard they are invited to bring not their best selves to the river, right? Not the you after you've made your New Year's resolutions. Not the first, let me lose 20 pounds, you, or first, let me eat less carbs, you, or after I start my Pilates program, you. Not that person. Not the cleaned up person. 
they've heard from John that they are invited to bring not their ideal lives, but their actual lives to that river. John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, and they are thirsty for this. John says, it's possible to turn around. It's possible to live not by the lies you've been told, not by some kind of do-it-yourself salvation, but by a fresh new word which prepares you to live in that fresh new world that God is about to bring. So get ready. Turn around. Meet that new world. The one who is more powerful than I is coming, and just wait and see what he will do. I baptize with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is setting the stage for something bold. With a buildup like that, all this anticipation, the one more powerful than I is coming, the folks who went down to the river were likely to think, oh my gosh, this is it. What our prophets from centuries back said would come. This is new creation. This is regime change. This is the transformation we've been longing for. This calls for a grand entrance, right? Something bold and dramatic. Maybe Messiah will come with a battalion of soldiers. Maybe he will mount a throne and finally show Rome who's in charge. Maybe he will give an inaugural speech that will leave our enemies completely gutted. Whatever the crowds at the River Jordan were expecting, they were not expecting this. Jesus' first public act is to sink down, down, down into the same waters with everybody else. The Son of God, drenched in humanity's need. Jesus doesn't even get his own private pool. Some protected space. That's what we would want for God, right? No, Jesus enters into the same murky waters with everyone else. All the needy ones, all the lost ones, the disappointed ones, the sick ones, the fearful ones, the angry ones, the clueless ones, the proud, the dejected, you, me, we're all there with Jesus in those same waters. When Jesus first appears in the Gospel of Mark, it's in this wild and absolutely stunning picture of solidarity. Okay, we, we tend to think of God dwelling in sacred spaces like beautiful sanctuaries or in nature with mountains. And that's fine, and that's even good. But I wonder if that reveals something more about us than God. Like, we think God needs protecting from human misery and need. Like the Holy One is 
too holy to touch down on the messiness of broken people and broken relationships and a broken world. Like maybe God requires a buffer zone. I don't know if you all saw that picture, I think it was in the New York Times, of that photo that came out at Christmas of the nativity scene set up at one church in Bethlehem. It showed the baby Jesus wrapped in the traditional uh, Palestinian kefia cloth, that black and white checkered cloth. And the baby is lying not um, in a soft bed of hay, but on a pile of sharp rocks, twisted wire, and broken glass. He's lying on wreckage, on rubble. The pastor who had set up this nativity scene, Reverend Munther Isaac, said a really profound thing about why he chose to portray the nativity in this way. And he said this, God is under the rubble in Gaza. This is where we find God right now. So let's not miss the fact that when Jesus first appears in the Gospel of Mark, as he sinks down into the River Jordan, he is being immersed in human need, saying yes to the fullness and complexity and struggle and beauty of what it means to be human. And I ask you this, church, what would it mean for us to learn to find God not apart from our humanity, but in the mess and the brokenness and the twistedness and the joy and struggle of our humanity? What if our human frailty is, in God's view, sacred space where God chooses to work? What if it's right there that we know God the best. And if we were waiting for, for Jesus to make a big inaugural speech, well, that's not happening. Jesus, at his baptism, doesn't even say anything. Rather, divine words are spoken over him. The heavens are torn apart. Um, and that's a really deliberate word on Mark's part. Um, the other Gospels that have this story say the heavens open, like, woo, right? But Mark chooses a more action-packed, vivid word to describe what's happening at this moment. The heavens are torn apart, and the Spirit descends, and again, Mark chooses another word, not just on Jesus like a little butterfly alighting on his shoulder, not just that, but the, the Spirit descends into Jesus. Our translation didn't pick up on that, but that's Mark's choice of words. It's his intent, that the Spirit descends into Jesus so that he is literally infused with the life of God. God rips the heavens apart, breaking through that barrier, and then God deepens into the very person of Jesus, infiltrating him and forming a beautiful solidarity, which will then break open to flow out to all of us. It's really wild. Have you not known? Have you not heard? 
There is so much abundance in God. God is a mighty river, relentless to reach us. In Christ, God is with us. God is for us. God is in us. Is there anything more powerful than that? And it's then that Jesus hears the words which will reverberate throughout his life and ministry. From this point at his baptism to the moment of his death, he hears these words, You are my beloved son. I am so delighted with you. God names Jesus and commissions Jesus with the same word, beloved. Beloved. You are my beloved. I want to tell you, beloved is your name too. In a few moments, we will be part of a ritual that we do every year on Baptism of the Lord Sunday, where we will be marked with water and words will be spoken over us, naming us as God's beloved. I remember the first time I took part in this ritual with you. I had just left the congregation I had been part of for over 30 years, which was both a very good thing and a very hard thing. I had to, I had to start over. I couldn't rely on familiar patterns or a role I was used to. I had to imagine my life apart from my community, and I didn't know how to do that. I was grieving them, and I was grieving who I was when I was with them. And in my spirit, I was weighed down with so many questions, trying to make sense of what happened, and why, and what should have happened, and whose fault was that. And how would I be remembered? And on and on and on. It all felt very oppressive. And when you're in that place, questions of identity loom large. I didn't know who I was. So I remember on that one baptism of the Lord Sunday, we got into our big messy circle with me definitely not bringing my best self but dragging all of my doubts and questions with me. And I got marked with water and told I was God's beloved. And I have to say something inside of me kind of broke loose. Wait, what? Beloved is my name? <laughs> Not confused? Not complicated? <laughs> Not she who has baggage? No, beloved. Beloved. I remember that Mary Morganti was standing next to me, and I just sort of melted into her shoulder and cried. People of God, you are not lost at sea, you are not forgotten. The one who has sunk down into the waters to reach you 
knows what it means to be fully human, and he will show us the way. The one who numbers the stars and calls them each by name has named you beloved. Belovedness is your identity, and it is your vocation. Belovedness is the new lens through which we can begin to see each other and the world. So there is good news today. Christ is with us. Christ is for us. Christ is in us. Amen. See the 
As we move into a remembrance of baptism with the canticle of renewal, you are invited to have a candle and water prepared. And when you feel so led, I invite you to dip your hands into the water and then to touch your head, making a sign of the cross in remembrance of your baptism or by way of simply receiving a blessing. Our unity is not found in our conformity, but in our diversity, so I encourage you to enter this ritual in whatever way feels right for you.
As we close our gathering, send your spirit among us to guide us in our work and play, in our service and love, strengthened and renewed by the waters of baptism. Amen. Friends, God names you beloved. Beloved is who you are when no one is looking. Beloved is who you are when everyone's looking. Belovedness is your calling, it's your identity, it's your summons to envision and work in a world towards the love God intends for us. Live into your new name of belovedness. Mm-hmm.